All right, well, I want you to just imagine for one second that what you do is, is you grab your Bible, you close your eyes, you crack it open, you put your finger down, and what you stumble across is Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Out of nowhere, out of left field, you just crack open your Bible, close your eyes, put your finger down, boom, Romans 6.1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? I want you to imagine just stumbling across that with no context, no idea where it came from, why you're there. Now, for one thing, I'll just say, this is a bad strategy for how to read your Bible, okay? But let's just say hypothetically you did that. And you said, okay, what should we say then? Should we keep on sinning so that grace may multiply? I think if we came across that and we had any sense of, of what's going on, that Paul, he's writing to the church here, he's asking on our behalf, should we keep on sinning? Is, is that how this whole God thing works? Like, are we supposed to out-sin everybody else so that we receive greater and greater grace? Should there be a higher rate of divorce in the church? You know, you stumble across Romans 6, 1, you're starting to think to yourself, like, should there just be a higher degree of anger in the church, more child abuse in the church, more selfishness, more laziness, more worldliness? Is that what we're supposed to be known for? Is that why Paul is asking this question? Imagine you just kind of stop there. You're like, I'm just going to cut it short today, Romans 6, 1, that felt good. And you don't know the context, and you're like, man... Trying to figure it out, thinking to yourself, well, I guess we are saved by grace, not works. And the whole world, they're all working hard to try to be righteous, but we already are righteous in Christ. Okay, Paul, maybe I see where you're going here. Maybe we should just keep on sinning so that we can receive more and more grace. That's what Paul's asking here, isn't he? And again, if you didn't know the context of why he's asking the question, if all you did, just close your eyes, open your Bible, put your finger down, Romans 6, 1, out of nowhere, should we keep on sinning? I think you should be wondering at some point, Paul, do you think Christians are crazy? <laughs> like, what in the, do you think that we're all just crazy? You think that's the question that we're really asking that you need to answer? I mean, who walked into church this morning? I'll just show a quick show of hands here. Who walked into church this morning, and that was the question you were honestly wrestling with this morning? <laughs> Should I keep sinning? Should I sin more so I can have more grace? Nobody? It doesn't make any sense. Nobody should be asking that question, at least not until we understand why Paul's asking the question. Why is Paul wrestling with this question? I believe this is why. Paul, he poses the question because God's grace is so enormous. And our flesh and our sin nature is so creative and deceived that it actually is only a matter of time before we find ourselves wrestling with that very question. Usually it's not on the way into church. Usually, it's at the point of temptation. When sin is staring us in the face and it begins to look appealing, 
This is the very question we may find ourselves wrestling with. And see what Paul did in Romans chapter 5 is he lifted up. This is why context is important. Okay, What Paul did in Romans 5 is he lifted up the enormity of God's grace. He, he wanted us to see with great clarity how wonderful and amazing God's grace is. And any time we do that, we have to be careful that we don't allow our flesh to deceive us into thinking, maybe I should just keep sinning. Here's a statement that Paul had just made at the end of Romans chapter 5. He said, the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied... Grace multiplied even more. It's even bigger. It's even greater. And what wonderful truth that is. And yet, if that's the case, it's like Paul knows at some point, our flesh is going to be asking what he deals with next. Romans 6, 1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? It would be a whole heck of a lot easier, wouldn't it? Just keep sinning. Just keep walking in sin. So that grace may multiply. I mean, even as a Christian, you know this. Sin is tempting. It's hard. It's hard to walk in holiness. It'd be so much easier just to give in to sin. So... In view of just the enormity of God's grace, should we just keep sinning and let grace multiply? Now, before we get to Paul's response, he does respond to this, but before we get to Paul's response, let me ask you this. Is this what happens when human beings continue in sin? Is this actually, think through this. Think about it. Is this what happens? Does grace multiply when human beings continue in sin? Now, Paul's not going to address this, okay? He's just dealing with the question, should we sin? But I want you to just think for a second about that second half. So that grace may multiply. Is that really what happens? Or rather, the real question I want you to consider is this. Should we presume that we will experience multiplying grace if we continue to walk in sin? Should we presume we will receive greater and greater grace as we continue in intentional, ongoing, and therefore unrepentant sin? And I would argue the clear biblical answer is no. We should not presume that. Hebrews 10.26 says this, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire about to consume the adversaries. If you are walking in sin, you must repent. Not go on sinning. 
you must stop walking in sin and repent. God's word gives us no room to assume that we can just continue on in ongoing, deliberate, unrepentant sin and have God's grace. Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 2, Do you despise the riches of his kindness, his restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, what is happening? You are storing up wrath, not grace, but wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. His point is clear. We shouldn't presume that we have God's grace if the way that we treat sin is just to deliberately go on sinning, unrepentant, hardened of heart. And I want to be very clear here. This is important. If you are truly in Christ, you have God's grace. You have it. And no sin can separate you ever from the righteousness that you have through faith in Christ. You have his grace. You have eternal life. And if you have eternal life, you cannot lose eternal life. But if you are walking in unrepentant sin, intentional, ongoing Unrepentant sin, you shouldn't presume that you are truly in Christ. You should not presume that you have God's grace. You should stop sinning and repent. You must repent. And if you will not repent, you should expect that you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day when God's righteous judgment is revealed. Whether you consider yourself a believer or an unbeliever, if you are walking in unrepentant sin, you need to hear this. You must repent. See, there's a condition to receiving God's grace. This is the condition. Repent and believe. Faith in Christ is always wrapped up in those two beautiful words. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. We turn away from sin towards Christ, trust in him. It is not a work. Biblically, faith is always presented as the antithesis of works. You must repent. Repent and believe. Faith in Christ is always wrapped up in those two words. You cannot continue in unrepentant sin and presume that you have God's grace. Okay? And we can't be confused about this. This is not anti-gospel. It is not anti-grace. It is precisely the gospel. It's precisely the gospel. You see, if you're walking in unrepentant sin, you're storing up wrath, but the beautiful good news of Christ is this. You can repent and find grace upon grace in Jesus Christ. Unrepentance, it is the mark of a non-Christian headed towards hell. But repentance, it is the mark of a believer in Christ who has received grace. And when you repent, there is grace upon grace upon grace. There is grace to cover all of your sin, all of it. 
It is boundless, unending, ceaseless. It is infinite. But you can't have it both ways. You cannot cherish sin and cling to it and have the grace of Christ. It is one or the other. You can't have it both ways. And so Paul, he's asking the question in light of this reality and in light of the enormity of God's grace, Romans 6.1. In view of this, what should we say? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Should we go on sinning? Here's Paul's response in Romans 6.2. Absolutely not. Why not? Because it's going to get you killed. It is bad logic that makes a mockery of the gospel. And if followed, it has very serious consequences. Absolutely not. Okay? But notice what Paul does next. I want you to pay attention to how Paul continues in verse 2. He's not going to exhort us to good behavior. Paul, he's not going to start by saying, hey, should we continue in sin? No. So stop sinning and start doing good things. You ever try that in parenting? Or discipleship? How's that go? Not great, Bob. So how does he start? He doesn't just exhort us to good behavior. Here's what he begins with. He begins simply by proclaiming good news. This is what Paul does. He just proclaims the good news of God's true grace over our lives. That's all our passage is today. The first seven verses of Romans chapter 6, there is zero exhortation to good moral behavior. It is a proclamation of the good news of God's grace in our lives and the work of God's grace in our lives. See if you can catch it as we walk through this passage together. Okay, Notice the proclamation of good news that Paul has for those who are in Christ. He says, Romans 6 verse 2, absolutely not. Should we keep going in sin? No, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin, we who have God's grace, we have died to sin. How can we still live in it? Or are you unaware? Don't you know the great news that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. We have a brand new life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection For we know with absolute certainty that our old self was crucified with him. So the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless. So that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is free from sin. You see the statement that Paul makes in our passage? God's grace doesn't lead you into sin. God's grace is so big that it has destroyed sin's power in your life. If you're in Christ, here's the wonderful news. God's grace has destroyed the power of sin in your life. Shattered it. Do you know what that means? 
if you are in Christ, you are not enslaved to sin. You can't even go on sinning. That is Paul's proclamation of good news. You can't do it. You can't go on walking in unrepentant sin if you're in Christ. Because God's grace is so great, so enormous, so powerful, that the bondage of sin has been broken in your life. That is how enormous the grace of God is. And as we look at the good news that Paul is proclaiming today, here's the roadmap uh, that we're going to use to try to make sense of what he's saying here. We're going to ask three questions in our passage that will help, uh, that our passage is going to help us to answer today. What is the power of sin? Question number one. Number two, how is sin's power broken? And number three, how do we live in God's power today? What is the power of sin? How is sin's power broken? And how do we live in God's power today? Question number one, what is the power of sin? Did you notice what Paul said in chapter 6, verse 6? Look, look closely at what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 6. He says, we know, we have confidence that our old self... Okay, our old life was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin, that old self, that old life ruled by sin, might be rendered powerless. It has no power. I want you to think about that for a second. And think about what Paul is saying about the nature of sin. See, Paul's a man that came to Christ as an adult. Right? Before that, he was not following Jesus, but he was extremely religious. A devout Jew, very concerned about doing the right thing, very concerned about following God's laws, and he was good at it. But notice what he says about the grace of God in his life. He says, my old body that I trained and worked so hard to walk in holiness, to walk in obedience, it was actually ruled by sin. That is the reality. It was ruled by sin. But when I was united with Christ through faith, it was crucified and rendered absolutely powerless. What the law could not do, God's grace has done Paul is saying, I was enslaved under the power of sin, and yet God's grace has broken the chains. And as he says this, Paul, it's like he's opening a little window into the human heart, how the heart actually works. See, sin, it's not just a description of isolated individual acts that we commit that are against God's word. Sin is actually a power. Sin is a power that holds us in slavery to the kind of living that gets you thrown into hell. Sin is a power that holds us in bondage to the type of living that leads only to death. You see, this is why non-believers, they don't arrive at the judgment of God with any hope of being declared righteous. 
Because sin is a bondage. It is chains. It is a power that holds us enslaved to the, to the type of living that leads only to death, to hell. For some, they're held in bondage to pornography or lust or anger or laziness or selfishness or greed or pride or comfort or pleasure. But I want you to notice those aren't just individual choices. They're not just isolated, disconnected choices. That's not the way sin works. When we give in to lust, we are not just acting lustfully. We are submitting to a power that holds us enslaved. When we give in to selfishness, we're not just acting selfishly. No one just acts selfishly. We are submitting ourselves to the power of selfishness. It has a power to move us, to shape us, to shape our hearts, behaviors, attitudes. We don't just act angrily. Don't believe that lie. When when we walk in anger, we are submitting ourselves to the power of anger, and it will move us, shape us, direct us. Sin is a power that takes control of our hearts and enslaves us. And when it's full grown, it destroys us. For Paul, even though he obeyed outwardly, his heart was enslaved to pride. It didn't matter how religious his life looked. Sin's power had its grip on Paul, and he, looking in the rearview mirror, knew it. Sin's power had its grip on Paul, just like it did every one of us. We all, at one time or another, have experienced life under the power of sin. If you're a human being, you have experienced what it is like, whether you recognized it or not, you have experienced life under the power and slavery of sin. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard to stop sinning? It's because sin is not just like this disconnected, isolated, individual choice. It is a power. There's a momentum. There's a power with sin. And it's a power that holds us in bondage to the kind of living that leads us into death. It's a power that leads to a selfish, unrepentant, unworshipful life. And it's a power that you are not equipped to defeat. No one is. None of us. So how is sin's power broken? Question number two, how is sin's power broken? If it's a power that holds us in bondage, and a power that is going to keep human beings enslaved to the kind of life that is going to get us thrown into hell, and if it's a power that we are not in ourselves equipped to defeat, then how is sin's power broken? This is what Paul says in verse 2. Okay, should we keep on sinning? Absolutely not. How can we? How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? You know what he's saying there? He is saying, 
That the way that sin's power has been broken is through death. You died to sin when you were united with Christ by faith. You died to sin when you were united with Christ in his death. Should we go on sinning? No. How can we? We can't. We are dead to sin. Dead to sin in Christ. Sin is dead in you and no longer has power over you. When you came to Christ, you were knit with him in his death. So you can't go on sinning because it has no power over those who are dead. This is the illustration. You ever heard of uh, Corey Ten Boom before? Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, they were held in concentration camps during World War II, imprisoned by the Nazis, abused, enslaved, under forced labor. But while she was in the concentration camp, Corey's sister Betsy, she got sick. And over the course of time, her health diminished. And finally, she passed away. And the moment that she died, what do we all know? She was free. No longer imprisoned. They can't touch her anymore. She was enslaved, abused, held prisoner till the moment she died. And then she was free. And they could not touch her anymore. This is the illustration that Paul gives us with sin. The moment we find ourselves in Christ through faith, you are dead to sin and sin cannot touch you anymore you are no longer enslaved sin has no power over you because we are knit together with Christ in his death and this is how Paul fleshes this out in Romans 6 3 he says are you unaware don't you know the great wonderful news that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death We are knit with him in death. Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Brand new life. A brand new way of living. Dead to sin, alive to God. That is how sin's power has been broken. By the grace of God. Notice, first of all, that Paul, he's using baptism. As the line in the sand. For who has this new life in Christ and who does not. Okay. Do you see that in the text? He's using baptism as a line in the sand. To say who is dead to sin alive to God and who is not. Who has God's grace and who does not. He's using baptism as the line. He does not say if you consider yourself to be a Christian. He does not say if you go to church. He does not say if you prayed a prayer. Then sin's power is broken in your life and you're dead to sin alive to God. He doesn't say that. He says all of us who were baptized into Christ. Baptized 
As a believer in Christ, we were dead to sin. We are dead to sin and alive to God. Now, why does he say that? Why does Paul use baptism as the line in the sand? Well, it's not because there's anything magical about baptism in terms of its ability to break sin's power in your life. Like the water is not special. The water does not magically break sin's power in your life. It won't do it. And baptism certainly doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism will not produce a work of the Spirit in your life in and of itself. Baptism does not make you dead to sin, alive to God. Look at verse 4 really quickly, okay? Look carefully at verse 4. It says this, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death. Notice the words that he uses. Baptism, it is what? It is a burial. Buried with him by baptism into death. That is the illustration. Now, does burial make you dead? I hope not. If so, something has gone wrong. Burial confirms. Burial attests that death has occurred. It's an indicator. And that's what baptism is. But it's not even a perfect indicator. Okay, Most of you probably know somebody who at one point claimed to be in Christ was even baptized, and now you're like, there is no chance that they are actually a Christian. So baptism isn't even a perfect indicator. So why does Paul use baptism as the line in the sand for who is dead to sin, alive to God, and who is not? This is a huge deal. The reason is this. Baptism is God's line in the sand. Baptism is where God visibly draws the line in the sand for who is his and who is not. Baptism is God's means of drawing the line in the sand around who is his people. Who, who is it that is dead to sin alive to God? And who is not? It is the sign of his covenant, visibly marking those who are dead to sin alive to God and those who are not. And if you are united with Christ through faith, okay, if you are in Christ and that faith is real, you will pursue baptism. And so Paul has no problem using baptism as the line in the sand for who is actually in Christ. And he says, all of us who were baptized into Christ. In other words, all of us who are actually Christians in the grace of God, have the grace of God. He says, Romans 6, 4, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... So we too may walk in the newness of life. 
dead to sin, alive to God. So the way that sin's power has been broken is through death. But how is it that we were made alive to God? How is it that we have this wonderful new life free from the power of sin? How are we delivered from slavery to sin to be servants of God alive in him? He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... So we too walk in newness of life. Do you notice what he said there? How are we made alive to God, free from the power of sin? Is it something you do? Not unless you raise Jesus from the dead. He says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory, the power of the Father. So we too walk in newness of life by the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That is how the bondage of sin has been broken in your life. Do you know what that means? Most importantly, it means that you do not break the power of sin in your life. In fact, you cannot break the power of sin in your life. You cannot do it. Many have tried and all have failed. But God has actually done it. God has actually broken sin's power in your life. He has shattered the chains And he's done it by the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. How powerful is that? How glorious is that? How powerful is the glory that resurrected Jesus from the grave? How powerful is the glory that has conquered and defeated death once for all? How powerful is the glory of God that has offered grace to the entire world? And you see, the power of God's grace, it is so great that it has shattered sin's chains and delivered us to new life in Christ. This is the good news that Paul proclaims. This is the wonderful news that that Paul is declaring to us. If you are in Christ, you can't go on sinning because you're dead to sin and triumphantly alive in Jesus Christ. And you haven't done it. He has by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. If you are in Jesus, you can't be enslaved to sin. You could try, but you would fail because God's power is greater. His grace has broken the bondage of sin in your life. God's grace is so great that it has destroyed any semblance of sin's power in your life. So why are you all looking at me like, really? you have any idea how hard it is to stop sinning? Why is it so hard? So why is it so hard? Why is laziness still so tempting? Why is selfishness still my default setting? Why, why is it that anger still tempts me when people do disrespectful things? Or say hurtful things. Why is lust still a temptation? Why is it still so hard to do the good things that God has called us into and so easy 
to do the things that I probably shouldn't. What is wrong with me? Or if we want to frame it a little more positively, how do we actually live in God's power today? How do we do it? How do we live in God's power today? How do we practically experience death to sin alive in God? Well, if you want to find out, you'll have to come back next week. That is the question that Paul tackles next as we get into the rest of Romans chapter 6. But here's what I want you to take comfort in today. I just want you to rejoice in the truth that God's grace has actually shattered the power of sin in our lives. He has. Even if you don't always feel like it, God's word declares that we are free. God's grace has truly destroyed the power of sin in your life, and that is worthy to be praised. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you are